Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and we're going to jump right into part two of our conversation with David Bach on personal finance and his new book, The Latte Factor, alongside U.S. News Senior Editor for Personal Finance, Susanna Snyder. David, the second section of the book is, is, and we've touched on it already, is, you know, don't budget, make it automatic. Why is it so difficult for consumers to flip that switch and to allow these percentages or these amounts of money to go into savings accounts or, or for, you know, 401ks automatically? Why is that such a, a hard thing for people to get over? Well, first of all, I would say it's actually not hard, right? When you really look at the bulk of wealth in America, it's only in two places. People bought a home. And so like 60% of equity in America is in a house. That's because it was automatically, they had to buy a home, they have to make the mortgage payments, and basically they're forced to save every month, which pays down their debt, which is how they build equity in their house. The second way that wealth is built in America is through 401k plans, right? Like when you look at the bulk of wealth in America, it's in a retirement account. How it got there for the most part was through saving automatically in a 401k plan. But, but most Americans still don't have access to a 401k plan. But most Americans who have a job over half, I think it's something like a third today, still don't have a 401k plan. So if you've got a job without a 401k plan, many people just don't go down to a brokerage firm and open up an IRA account. They just don't do it. If they do have a 401k plan, unfortunately, we live in a world today where people change jobs constantly. So they, they leave money. This is what people do with their 401k plans. They borrow against them. They often cash them out. Or they don't, every time they go from job to job, they don't keep signing up for them again. You know, like in the old days, you would get a job and you'd have that job for 30, 40 years. And if you signed up for your 401k plan in the very beginning, you turned around 30, 40 years later, you had a half a million dollars or more, and you had a pension plan. Now, there are still people like that, but there's going to be a lot less of them. So, you know, there are actually things that need to be changed in our retirement system. Like, and, and, and changes have been made, by the way. I wrote The Automatic Millionaire in 2004. And I, everything I'm saying today is basically what I said then. Nothing's really changed at all, actually. In 2004, though, what I said is these 401k plans should force you to automatically save money. They don't. Today, they do. Today, the bulk of 401k plans, you go get a job and the employer automatically rolls you into the 401k plan. You don't actually have to sign up for it. Partially, that's because employers are afraid of being sued. But now what employers do is they automatically enroll you often at a 3 or 4% rate, which means that people stay underinvested. Now, the smarter companies with the smarter 401k plans have what's called an automatic increase. So some of these 401k plans, they start you at 3 or 4%, and then they automatically increase what you're saving. Which, by the way, if everybody did this, we would be getting millions of Americans more to save 10% or more. The problem is that our average American who's got a 401k plan and using it, which is not everybody, is only saving 3 4 5%. And that is just not enough, especially because so many people don't start saving until they're in their 30s or their 40s. And they never touch that increase if their employer isn't doing it for them. I, I want to go back to the book a second and, and specifically how, you know, the, the storyline. You spend a lot of the time laying out these money plans and, and then allowing Zoe, the main character, and the reader, really, to come up with critiques of the plans. Why was it so important for you to make sure that you allowed for this back and forth 
of ideas and counter arguments between Zoe and the other characters? Because first of all, I know that the critics are out there, right? Like I, I've been teaching this stuff for 26 years, <laughs> which you would think by now I would be like, I would have the thickest skin in the world, but like there's just, the world is filled with critics. But by the way, it's not just critics to me. The world's filled with critics, period. Like what happens in life is that you, you have a dream often, you get excited by something, and then you take it to the person that you know that's going to basically just shit all over the dream, right? Like, you'll have to probably bleep that out later. But, like, <laughs> this is what happens. Like, we, oh, I, I just taught a live class all day long, and I'm like, why is it the moment you get excited about something, you bring it to the person you know is going to tell you it won't work? And everybody cracked up because we do this. I'm like, don't take this to someone you know is going to tell you that it won't work. That's exactly what Zoe does. Zoe's got a friend. She knows he's negative. She likes him, but she knows he's negative. And she comes home all excited about this idea she learned about. She should pay herself first. And she runs these numbers that, are, that Henry shows her. And she shows, him, she shows her friend the compound interest. And her friend does exactly what often our negative friends do. He starts to tell her, oh, that won't work. He says to her, first thing he says to her is, 401k plans are a bad deal. Those things have too high of fees. Those things don't work. That's just the man taking advantage of you. Which, by the way, there are a lot of critics out there that say that. Totally wrong. Not true. Then he says to her, you'll never be able to earn a 10% rate of return. That's ridiculous. That's not possible. And, and so she starts to doubt herself now. And then she goes back and she meets with her mentor. And her mentor is like, well, look, I don't, all I can tell you is what's happened in the real world. In the real world, stocks have averaged since 1926, 10%. And he shows her this chart. Like We put the chart in the back of the book. Thanks to Morningstar, they gave us the data. We have the data on stocks and bonds and cash. And so you can look at this. Does it guarantee your 10% rate of return? No. He says to her, you know what? Could be 10%. And then he runs the numbers for her at 7%. Then she runs the numbers at 5%. She looks at the different rates of return and she's like, wow, even at 5%, it could still be a lot of money. But there are these critics out there. There's, you know, Sally Krejcik, who's got a company called Elvest, she wrote an absolutely vicious scathing article about this book today. She put it out on Fast Company. Just the, and, and the funny thing is, she literally is like the critic in the book. And she goes through in this, in, in this article and says, and she cites a research report where she says, you could never earn, you can't earn 10% stocks. Well, I've been in the investment business as long as Sally. We're basically close to the same age. She grew up in the investment business. The report that she cites shows the 25-year return on the S&P 500 is 9.9%. <laughs> so nowhere in the book does it say you're going to put $5 a day and make 10%. It, it goes through all these lessons. And as you guys all said, which Sally missed completely in the article, it's not about the latte. <laughs> it's about the miracle of saving money automatically, paying yourself first, and the power of compound interest. And the one thing with, with critics is like, when someone says something's not possible, you gotta go back and beta test and go, well, is it really not possible? Because we know there are millions of people in this country who have become wealthy by paying themselves first automatically, but they've done it over their lifetime. Like I just came from doing the Breakfast Club radio show. You know, it's like the number one urban radio show in America, I think. And, you know, they say, you know, man, this stuff's great, but everything takes a long time. You got anyone, any, you, have you guys, could you give us some tips on how to get rich quick? 
And I said, you know what, guys? I totally can. Here's the tip. People who try to get rich quick stay broke for their lifetime. <laughs> like, the, you try to get rich quick and you will stay broke slowly. Building wealth takes decades. And that's what Zoe learns in the book. It takes decades. It's not days. So let's talk about staying broke for your lifetime. Um, <laughs> you uh, talk in the book about some of the problems that come with credit card debt. Uh, and why, um, So why did you think it was important to make sure certain characters in the book addressed credit card debt and how burdensome it can be to building wealth? Why show that? Well, because it's real, right? So like Zoe, like so many of us, has credit card debt. And the problem with credit card debt is it's like compound interest in reverse. So where it's dark really, side of compound interest. You know, the funny thing is it's, it's not that easy to earn 10% interest on your money, right? Like that's true. Like you, it's not a no brainer. You can go buy the S and P 500 fund, like Warren Buffett suggests and leave it alone. But the key is you got to leave it alone and you're still not guaranteed 10%. Right. With credit cards, you go borrow money on a credit card and you could be guaranteed to have it cost you 20%. So the sad thing is that people go and get these credit cards. In the beginning, it's, it's cheap, and they're getting frequent flyer points. And then a year later, it's not cheap, and they're paying 20% interest on it. And that's why these card companies give you all these points. They give you all these points to suck you in. You think to yourself, I'm going to get a free trip. Next year, that card costs 100 or 200 or $300 annually. And if, God forbid, you're late once, it's going to be a $35 late fee. And then if you're, and then also interest, and they know that most people buy to get these cards, spend money on it, and don't pay it off every month. So it's truly a trap. And I think, you know, the other thing about credit cards is that what most people do with credit cards is they, well, almost always, right, you're buying something that depreciates, goes down in value. And Zoe learns, like, she's got to buy assets. The only way you build wealth is to own assets that go up in value. So she's trained about these escalators of wealth, which are real estate and stocks and again she meets other mentors that have done real they've made mistakes but then they've learned how to do it right and so they're passing their wisdom on of somebody who's in their 50s or their 60s or 70s because look the older we get when it comes to our money if we're fortunate we actually get smart smarter we learn from our mistakes in the book you write that the first two secrets the first two sections pay yourself first and don't budget, make it automatic, are the how. And then you have the third secret, uh, which is live rich now, is the why. C can you explain how, how those two work in tandem? Yeah, and by the way, you just did that so beautifully that now I have to remember that for future inter interviews because you're exactly, you're exactly right. What Zoe learns is that there's always this how to money, but the more important part's the why. It's the why that makes you actually follow through on doing these things. Most people know they should, when you say like, have you ever heard of pay yourself first in an audience? Most people have. Are you doing it? Are you saving an hour a day of your income? Most people know they should save more money. But they always say people should all over themselves, right? So the why is what gives you the clarity of like, okay, like in Zoe's case, her why is she really wants to travel. Like so many millennials, she really wants to travel. One of her big whys is to start saving money so that she can have an adventure in her life. And, and, and a big thing that Zoe learns, and you can learn as you read the story, is that when you're clear about your values, which she's taught how to put these down on paper, then all the financial stuff that it takes to make those values real doesn't become a chore. It actually becomes a magnet.
So she becomes magnetized to wanting to make her values and her dreams real. And I've spent my life in financial planning and we always say financial planning is personal. That's why it's called personal financial planning. And it's more than money. It's more than numbers. It's about what do you really want for your life? People who will listen to this, you know, most people are going to listen to this podcast with you. Like, they're sophisticated. They may be older. They're they've got investment money. A lot are approaching retirement or already retired. And I always tell our retiree, our retired clients, because I'm a co-founder of a registered investment advisory firm. I always say, it's not about ROI, return on investing. It's actually about ROR, return on retirement. You need to look at your retirement and go, how do I get the most out of these years? And and in Zoe's case, because she's younger, it's about how does she get the most out of all of it? Like not putting off her life for retirement, but really enjoying her fullest life now. So without giving away any spoilers here, um, throughout the book, Zoe is considering taking a higher paying job. Uh, so she eventually learns that a bigger salary isn't going to solve her financial problems. So why not? Because the whole time I was like, Zoe... Maybe you should take that job. Take the job. Take the job. Take the job. You know, maybe use it for leverage. Maybe negotiate. But at the end, she does it, and she's okay with that. So, what's going on there? You know, it's really fun. so. I wrote this book with John David Mann, who's such a phenomenal writer. It's the first time I've done a book with a co-author, and he wrote an incredible fable called The Go Giver. And it's funny, right? Because we worked on this book for two years. I didn't sell the book. I wrote the book with him. I'm like, we're going to write this book until it's perfect, and then we're going to sell it. And we, we, it was such a creative joy to write this book with him. And we went back and forth on whether or not she should take that new job. <laughs> we, we, we really did. Cause, and the funny thing was, like, in my mind, I've lived downtown. She's going to have to go uptown for this other job. But, you know, the, the lesson in this was she didn't really want to take that other job. You know, which she, she didn't want to. She liked what she was doing. She likes her job. She just doesn't like her financial situation. And so ultimately what happens in the story, and we are giving it away now, but she finds the, cur- <laughs> she finds the courage to continue down the path that she's happy with and not trade dollars for dreams. She realizes that actually she can still have her dreams. And, um, you know, it's, there's a, and there's still so much more to this book. I mean, there's a whole theme in this book about taking risk and going for your dreams and my 15 year old son James Jack this is the first book he's read of mine and he read it cover to cover on a plane flight and at the end of the book I said to him you know what did you get out of this book and there were two things he got out of it one was that he needed to open up an IRA account which was amazing because he's 15 (laughs) and he looked at the chart in the back of the book and he's like dad I'm five years younger than the example in this book. If I save, if I open up a Roth IRA, I could be really rich by the time I retire. I was like, I know, it's true. So he said, how do I get a Roth IRA, right? Good questions for a 15-year-old. And then the second thing he said to me was, you know, Dad, the whole theme in the book is that you need to take risk. And that way you won't have any regret in life. And so I really realized, like, I, I like, like, like Zoe, like you, because I tell my story you, you, in the back of the book, like, I need to take risk. And so I thought, you know, if I just taught my 15-year-old those two life lessons, those are two huge life lessons. So, and, so well, who besides your son do you see as, as the audience for this book? So it clearly appeals to 15-year-olds, but... <laughs> well, I didn't know it would appeal to 15-year-olds. I, you know, I really, think this, I really hope this is a book that will appeal to people in their 20s and 30s and their 40s. Okay. 
You know, I wrote the book to reach millennials. That was my absolute intention. Uh, but I actually believe who will buy this book are, millenn- are baby boomers. Oh, I, think, I think baby boomers, I hope, are going to buy this book. They're going to read it because they're going to read it, but then they're going to go buy, give it to their kid. Right? Like, it's the perfect graduate. This book, truthfully, is the perfect graduation gift. I was about to gift. say that. It's, it's a graduation gift for high school and for college, right? Like, you know, all these poor parents that have, you know, they've borrowed hundreds of thousands of dollars to send their kids to school, and then their kids are getting out of college with zero financial knowledge. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just think that this book has the potential to be a perennial bestseller that we will gift, you know, people will gift to their friends. Like, and this, is also, this will be a book that I think, you know, the, the emotional reaction to this book has been un, unlike any other book I've ever read. Like, people actually, a lot of people cry at the end of this book. And um, because you can read it in less than two hours. Like, the amazing thing is you guys both read this book. Like, and it's because it was a story. Like, I'm sure you don't always read the books. I, I've been doing these podcasts on this book, and the difference is I can tell everybody read it. <laughs> no, no, seriously. When, when you come on Wealth of Knowledge, you have, uh, you have hosts yeah. and co-hosts that are prepared, prepared ready to go. <laughs> Which is very rare. No, seriously. Most people who do podcasts never read the books. Um, and especially if you take a financial book that's long, they, 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 they fly through it to try to get some nuggets and they ask for a press release. Um, you guys have both read this book. So I'll throw it back to you. What did the book do for you guys? Like, what did it, how did it touch you and what did it make you think about? I'll tell you it's unlike any other personal finance book I've read. And I've read a lot of them. So not to say that all the others will blend together, but, you know. This one will definitely always stand out as a very different approach. So I commend you on that because there are hundreds of personal finance books out there and they're often very similar. (laughs) And right, exactly. We get, you know, either story ideas or or books to to review if we want to then talk about them. And the fiction aspect I thought was was very unique. Uh, And even though I know Compound Interest, even though I edit it and and work on it every day, it's still (laughs) amazing to see sometimes how how it can work in your favor. I do want to ask one thing. So you touched on how this book is for young people, for the 20s, for the 30s, uh, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. The one thing that those people really have in common is student debt. And that's not something that this book gets into too, too much. I mean, you know, it it gets addressed a little bit as something that Zoe needs to work on. Um, But outside of this book, what are your thoughts on, on the challenges of student debt for these you know, these groups of, of young people? You know, student debt, I think, is the most heartbreaking thing that has ever happened to this country economically. The, the fact that we have $1.5 trillion now in student loans, that we have an entire generation of young people that are coming out of school with financial handcuffs, some of them for life. You, you know, you come out of school with a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in student loans. First of all, it could take you until you're forty to pay it off. Many people are now not buying homes, not saving and using four hundred and one k plans because all they can afford to do is pay off their student loans. It's terrible. It should never have happened. And part of it's the government's fault for being in the student lending business. The government should have never been loaning all this money out. It allowed all these universities to continue to raise their prices. And the cost of, of, we all know this, right? Like the but, but it's actually, someday we're going to look back on what happened to this country with the inflation of education. 
where the value of education didn't go up, but the cost went up tenfold. And we're going to go back and go, how did we let this happen? And I mean, I, the thing I would say to anybody who is listening is to seriously, who, who's preparing to go to college, really rethink how much money you're going to borrow for school. Do everything humanly possible to, to get your costs down. If that includes going to a junior college for a couple of years to then transfer into a more expensive school. Um, but really think it through. And then I think in terms of paying off your debt, and I, I know I'm never going to write a book on how to pay off student loans. Uh, it's complicated, it's depressing, and I don't want to work on it. But there are a lot of other people who have. And getting out of student debt is also a game. Learning how to pay your debts off is a game. Um, and a lot of people, if they don't know the rules, they'll stay in student debt for a long, long time. Now, the last thing I'll say, though, is there is student loans that are, their interest rate is low. And so it's super important that you don't put off using your 401k plan just because you have student loans. It's super important that you don't put off buying a home just because you have student loans. Because if you do, again, you'll wait until your 40s to start investing. And when you look at these charts, those are depressing charts. You don't want to wait until your 40s or your 50s to start on your road to building wealth. As we near the end here, David, what's one last nugget of financial advice you would give that you'd hope someone uh, walks away from this episode remembering? Well, first of all, I'd say come visit us at thelattefactor.com. That's the website for this book. And, you know, it's not just me and my mom and now you guys who like this book. There's like a whole bunch of amazing rock star reviews on this book. And I would really, you know, try to suggest to anybody who's found that this podcast the least bit interesting, like give this book a shot, even if you go get it at the library. If you know anybody who's young, get them a copy of The Latte Factor. The lesson you can tell yourself and tell young people too is that paying yourself first can change your life. You're going to go to work. You're going to trade your time for money. Pay yourself first. Keep the first hour day of your income. Save money automatically. And the next time you hear somebody bitch about the latte factor, you can tell them it's not about the coffee. It's a metaphor. It can, it's about teaching you the miracle of compound interest. And if you want to keep drinking your coffee that you get at Starbucks every single day, the last thing I'll say is this. Go buy the stock. Which we had that lesson, by the way, in the book too, because... One of her mentors takes her to Starbucks and says to her, you know, if you bought this stock when, you, when it first went public, you'd have over a quarter of a million dollars a day. So if there's something you know you're not going to give up, maybe you should invest in that company because the greatest way to build wealth in America is to invest in great companies, especially the ones that we use every day. I, I touched on this in, in your bio. You've written nine consecutive New York Times bestsellers, which obviously is extremely impressive. If someone is looking to read more of your work, what do you recommend they start with? I mean, you know, where, where is a good entry point for them for, for the other books you've written? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Um, the Automatic Millionaire, that's the book I recommend everybody start with. And that's the book that sold almost 2 million copies, and we launched it on Oprah. It's a great starting book. And then, I'd, and then for women, I'd say go read Smart Women, Finish Rich. That book's been out for 20 years. It sold over a million copies. It's the most popular finance book for women I think ever done. And then even though I'm a guy who wrote it, and then I, for couples, um, we, and these books have all been updated recently. Smart Couples Finish Rich is a great book for couples, especially if you're a new couple. 
uh, working on planning your life. It's wedding season. The funny thing is, is graduation season is wedding season. So Smart Couples Finish Rich makes a great newlywed gift. But really the most important book for you to go buy right now, because it just came out this week, is The Latte Factor. <laughs> At the end of, of that book, I saw in the notes that your next step is to spend some time abroad. Can you talk about that briefly? Yes. Well, so Zoe learns how to take sabbaticals. And yours truly, after I promote this book and do a national tour, I am doing a national tour, by the way. You can check on thelattefactor.com, see if I'm coming to your, to your city. Um, I'm then going to move to Florence, Italy in July. And I'm taking my family and my two kids and my wife and our dog, and we're moving to Florence for a year and taking a sabbatical. So uh, I, I want to I live what I, what I preach, which is to live richly, and I'm um, super excited to go travel all over Europe. So this is my last financial book. And so 13 is the last one. The Latte Factor is the last financial book. I'll write other books, but they won't be around money. And this was kind of my transition book, too, because in a way it's, it's not about the money. It's about living a rich life. As an Italian, I, I certainly I think you made the absolute right decision of, of where to go and what city to stay in. Uh, David, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, the book is The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to Live Rich, and it is out now. Uh, David, where can listeners find you on social media to get more of your advice and expertise? Yeah, well, again, go to, go to thelattefactor.com. My other main website is davidbach.com, and then I am on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So any of those places. And Susanna, thank you for coming on as well. Where can, uh, where can our listeners find you on social media? You can find me at Suze Snyder on Twitter, and you can find all of my stories and articles on usnews.com. Great. Thank you. And a thank you to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it. And if you have personal finance questions related to debt, saving money, loans, or credit you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails and we'll try to answer a few on the next personal finance episode. Finally, if you'd like to read up on personal finance information, check out money.usnews.com slash personal finance, where we have all sorts of advice on taxes, spending, budgeting, banking, and much more. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. See you next week.